This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome, guys. Oak Shape. We are talking with a guy who is a blue-collar electrician, family man, got kids, wife, hunts his brains out. He's killed at least three bulls over 350 in Idaho public land, self-guided, and he is an electrician, and he doesn't get a lot of time to hunt, but he makes it really, oh, he makes it work for him, and couldn't wait to get him on. I met him a few months ago in person. We got to know each other, and I knew I wanted to get him on. His name's Mike Merrick. We call him Idaho Mike. So let's get to that, but first, we got to go ahead and give some shout-outs. So we have 21 Days to Elk Shape. That is a digital program for sale on the elkshape.com website. You can download the PDF and it has all the workouts listed. You're gonna be doing something for 21 days straight and there's several videos injected into that PDF so you can watch, see how it's done and then go ahead and do it. And uh, I recommend that because now is the time to get any unwanted pounds off your body, be lean and mean for elk hunting season and hunt your best. The other thing that we have that's huge is the online elk shape camp. A lot of guys live in your East Coaster or Midwest guy, this is for you. You can basically attend elk shape camp from your desktop. And what you can do is you get a log on access for one year to digest 30 plus videos from elk shape camp 1.0. And then all the videos we created from elk shape camp 2.0, plus a bonus vault where we put in everything from bow tuning to workouts. It's just all exclusive for those that want to invest in themselves and it's really where I'm putting all my energy and effort in so check it out uh, we've got some discount codes to shout out to you guys so the first one is 20% off on X hunt use the discount code Elkshape, and you can get your maps downloaded for whatever state you're going go ahead and download them ahead of time 
I like to get on my desktop and get all my waypoints in and then I download them to my phone so I can operate on airplane mode and crush those elk mountains. Elk 101 for you last minute. I need help on elk hunting. Check out Corey Jacobson's full university. It's called the University of Elk Hunting. Discount code ELKSHAPE for 20% off. Game bags. Don't use cheesecloth. Caribou game bags out of Colorado. They had the Wapiti package. Check that out and get you 15% off using the discount code ELKSHAPE. Siberian Coolers out of Bozeman, Montana makes a cooler better than the Y brand, in my opinion. Holds ice longer. I'm using the 85 quart. You can use the discount code ELKSHAPE2019 and I'll save you 10% now. Remember, they're already cheaper than the Y brand and they're high quality. So that's going to save you some shipping, some tax. Do it. Two more to go. Off Grid Food Co. out of Washington State. My favorite food to take on the mountain. It not only tastes the best, but the macros. Protein, carb, fat are the best. Use discount code ELKSHAPE2019 to save yourself 10%. And last but not least, Backcountry E-Bikes. I used to thumb my nose at e-bike people because I got a dirt bike and a four-wheeler, but when you're talking about going behind gates legally, you might want to check out an e-bike. Theirs is kind of sturdy, built for hunting specifically, and so check them out. You can use the discount code ELKSHAPE300, save yourself 300 bucks. Guys, that's all I got. Let's go ahead and get over to Idaho Mike and listen to his knowledge bombs. Appreciate you listening. Here we go. All right, here we go. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. I am in North Idaho right now. That's the skinny part of Idaho. It's a pretty beautiful day, and I'm at my buddy's house who I met through Instagram. He messaged me and wanted to get an in-body scan at the gym at the time I owned. So I said, yeah, dude, come on over. He made the drive. Uh, We connected, did his in-body scan, answered some fitness nutrition questions, sent him on his way. But in the parking lot, we talked forever about elk hunting and I knew right then and there I had to get this guy on the podcast. He's the kind of guy I would elk hunt with, which says a lot because on this podcast, I've pretty much told everybody I don't like elk hunting with anyone. I'm a solo guy, but this is the kind of guy that I would share a campfire with. Mike Merrick, uh, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks for bringing me, uh, allowing me to come over to your house and invade your day off. No um, this podcast is about blue collar elk hunters. It's about the guys that buy their tags at Walmart. It's about the guys that live and breathe elk hunting. Think about it year-round. And fortunately for all of us, it helps catapult everything else in our life. Like we're not afraid to work hard on our marriage, our family. We know that if we stay disciplined, we'll have great success outside of elk hunting and inside of elk hunting. And you are blue-collar. Dude, you're an electrician? Yes, an electrician. You were four tens. I work four tens. You have a wife and kids. Yes. And you're a diehard, fanatical elk hunter who's had a lot of success. Yeah, that's all I think about. Okay. <laughs> besides my family. <laughs> that's great. Well, yeah, you always got to say besides the family. But, man, seriously, you got a beautiful family. I love your house. Um, we're over here. We're kind of we're kinda near I-90. That's as much detail as I was going to give because you said you've elk hunted right outside your house. Yes. So, um, sorry guys, I'm not giving away any, any of this dude's secrets cause we're in a shop right now and he's got only a small bulls in the rafter and they're all giants. Uh, where's some of your bigger bulls at? They're hanging in the f- uh, fire cache in sm- uh, Smelterville, Idaho. Yeah. Smelterville. Yeah. They were nice enough. My buddies were nice enough to let me hang them there cause I don't have room. So is that a, is it a bar or what is it? It's the fire cache. It's just the fire crew, the local fire crew. Oh, yeah. okay. Are they all volunteer or? 
They're got, nope. They're paid fire, and yes. so they get to look at your 350 bulls. Yeah, they asked me the other day how long they're gonna be there, you know, because they like it. Oh, cool. So. <laughs> well, we're gonna. I want you to tell the stories of those bulls for sure, um, but we gotta always kind of backfill with your backstory. Um, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into elk hunting? Well, uh, I grew up in northern Idaho. Um, basically, uh, my parents divorced when I was five, and my mother met uh, my stepfather, who was a fanatical elk hunter and bow hunter. And uh, so basically from that day on, that's all I really did with him. And so he's the guy who really got me going. And uh, at an early age, um, he would take me out and let me do the calling with him, you know, and we would call bulls in and he would shoot them. I, you know, I'd either see the arrow hit the bull or I would be standing right next to him as he shot one, you know, or I'd be a little ways away calling and I could hear him shoot it. But so I got a lot of experience as a child uh, growing up, getting right in the thick of it, you know. Uh, Did you see really the eyeballs a, coming out of my eye? I yeah. just sit here like, what? So you're a kid with more reps than most of us adults. Yeah, I mean, you know, he really put me through the paces as a child. And he, uh, I wouldn't say he was hard on me, but he's basically said, if you want to go, this is what we're going to do. And if you can't handle it, you know, you're going to have to stay home. But um, so I, I was right with him, you know, right behind him all the time. And, uh, you know, I watched him kill a lot of bulls. And so by the time I got old enough to hunt myself, you know, he said, I think you're, you know, you're ready for this. You can handle this. And uh, so he had me set my mom's bow up for me and uh, see if I could draw it. And we, I practiced. And so we went out and, you know, he basically at this point, I'm on my own. How old know? are you? Um, just, I'm 12 years old. No just, kidding. Yes. I'm just barely old enough. Huh? So what are you pulling back on that bow? I don't, I don't remember. It was like barely legal though. Yeah. You probably in the low forties. Sure. And it was a struggle, mm-hmm. you know, but I got it and I practiced and, uh, but you know, my first day by myself, I go out and he says, okay, this is it. I'm gonna let you out right here. It's dark. You know, I hadn't really hunted by myself and especially walking in in the dark, you know, I was a little afraid of that. And he just told me, you know, that bow, it'll kill anything in the woods. So don't be afraid. And uh, I said, okay. Uh, so he says, get out and walk about a mile. You'll hit a clear cut and just stand there and wait until you see me on the lower, the lower road coming in. I said, all right. He said, don't bugle until you make sure that you see me so that I can hear where the elk are too. I said, all right. So I go in, it's dark, and you know, I'm still wondering if not too sure about this. And I get in there, and I wait a little while. Here he comes. I see him. So I let one out. And I get a response instantly. And this elk's probably 150 yards from me in the timber, right in the timber. So uh, I'm like, all right, well, here we go, you know. I get in the timber, maybe 30 yards on the, you know, the road turns into a trail going in. And uh, I bugle one more time. And this time he's closer and I can hear him walking. And he's coming right to me. And so I knock an arrow and I get ready and I'm nervous, you know, you can imagine. And uh, this bull walked right, right down that trail. And believe it or not, I hid in the brush from it because it scared me and you know, I was by myself and uh but I had an arrow <laughs> knocked and I'm, I'm down in the huckleberry brush and this bull's like 10 yards broadside and now he's looking at me because I'm you know not set up right and he knows I'm there but uh he turned around and just walked straight away from me and later on that day did uh, you tell your stepdad what well happened? I didn't want to oh I bet but he he knew I couldn't you know, he heard the elk bugling and he said to me, it sounded like you're both right in the same spot. And I said, you're right. We were. And well, what happened, you know? And 
Well, he came in and it just, he, you know, it kind of scared me. And I, I didn't, I just kind of tucked down the huckleberry brush and hid from him. And then he spooked, you know. He's like, oh, man, that, that's a perfect opportunity for you. And uh, one of the easiest bulls to this day I've ever called in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Two bugles and he's there. Yeah, walked right to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, gets a good learning experience, you know. Um, at age like, 12, yeah. At age 12. So back to what I was saying with him making me do that at an early age, um, you know, uh, it made it easier later on um, as far as being, you know, afraid of the dark and as a kid going and doing things like that by myself. Yeah. Um, I got over it quick. You so. know, everybody listening that doesn't want to admit you're afraid of the dark, I think everybody might hesitate a little bit in the dark in the beginning and at some point you're going to you're going to turn the corner we don't talk about that enough on here but like i don't i can't remember when i was afraid of the dark but i know i was at some point like i was a little nervous and now it's just like i don't ever see anything but the woods in the daylight like I don't even know what my cabin or what my base camp or my spike camp looks like in the daylight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just pack two headlamps cause you're always using them, yep. but it didn't always used to be like that, you know? And right. I've hunted with people who squander the last 35 minutes of daylight because they're already thinking about, man, I really don't want to hike out in the dark or man, I got a long ways to go. I'd like to get a head start while I can still see. Don't do that. Don't do that. Unless you like tag suit. Yeah. I often walk out in the dark. It's constantly probably it's just the way more it is. walking out in the dark than than you know daylight yeah. ever. But at age twelve, I'm really really impressed. I mean, what a precedent for the rest of your elk hunting career. Oh yes. Who sure. is this guy? Like, is he still around? <laughs> He's still around. Uh, yeah, he still hunts. Um, in fact, uh, he bought uh, two elk tags uh, last year, year before. He's in his sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, killed two bulls, packed them all out himself. You know, oh, at it in his sixties. So. so we're getting him on this podcast. Then. <laughs> I don't know if he will. But yeah. He, yeah. He, he's a great guy. Um, taught me a ton about this. You mm. know. Uh, I couldn't think of a better person. Really? Yeah. No, that's special. Yeah. Mm. So, so you don't have sons. I have that one, one daughter, yeah. one daughter. Yeah. And she's going through hunter safety right now. So hopefully, um, you know, she doesn't lose his interest or I'm not going to push her, but we're, we'll is see. that rule 12 in Idaho. Uh, they can hunt at 10, big game here. Oh, yeah. very cool. And she is 10. She's so, 10, yeah. yeah. So she's, she'll be good to go. Awesome. Yeah. And then do they have a mentorship program in Idaho like they do in other states? They, they do, okay. yes. That's great. I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out which kid might want to hunt. I got a four, four-year-old turning five in a couple of days, and then I got a three-year-old boy. And honestly, my five-year-old seems more interested. Like she can shoot a bow. Um, she's just a wizard. She's, been, she's just a, a sponge. She's like... Always talking about bulls, bears, bucks. She knows the names of drainages I hunt. Like she hear, like if I say anything, she's just. And my son, I'm. I just don't think. I don't know. You you just don't know what you you're just gonna don't get. Know. You know. But my dream is to have a hunting buddy, and I don't care if it's my daughter or my son. Obviously, both would be great. But yeah. um, I'm hitting that age that you are. Where like maybe some of my best days are right in front of me and then it's, you know, priorities are going to shift a little. It's not going to be about Dan Staten. It's going to be about the little ones yeah. and getting them, making sure we get them taken care of and get them in the mountains. Right. That's cool that your daughter's doing hunter safety. Uh, well, take us from age 12. How old are you now? 39. I turned 39 two days ago. All right. So yeah. you're a year away from 40 <laughs> and you're pretty fit, dude. Like I said, you're blue collar, family man. Like you're the perfect guy on this podcast. You're the kind of people I can relate to. You don't go hunt out of states. You don't hunt ranches or landowner tags. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. 
I'm just saying I'm not into that. Yeah. I'm so that's what, I'm like into what you're doing yeah. over the counter guys. Uh, so tell us how you evolved to be, in my opinion, you won't say it quite the accomplished elk hunter. Uh, well, uh, you know, there was a lot of trial and error involved. You know that, um, even, even with what he showed me, you know, I took that, um, there were just a lot of things. You're just going to have to get in, get busy and get it figured out. You know, it's going to take work. Elk hunting is work, you know, um, you got to love this shit. Yeah. You have to love it. You know, my wife, she doesn't, she sometimes just shakes her head at me. She's like, why would you put yourself through all this? You know? And I'm like, cause you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, but, um, you know, I just started, I sold my, my first success uh, with elk was with a rifle, you know, uh, in taking them. Um, but I was 16 years old when I first got my bow kill, a bow kill. Really? Yeah. And I was actually Impressive. in, so my, me and my stepfather, we don't, we, hunt, we drive together, we don't hunt together. So um, he was with me when I shot that bull, but he wasn't, he was about 200 yards away hunting another bull there. But Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So I was 16 when I got my first archery kill. Uh, and then from that point on, it's just, you know, a grind. I just loved it. So you're not afraid to pick up a bow or a rifle. I, I buy, I try to buy both tags so that I'm covered for every season. Okay. So in Idaho, you kind of have an A and a B tag and I don't know if they'll change this, but I'll try to give a quick, just for those from out of state, Idaho is a good state. Um, they have been selling out their elk tags. They have... I think the most wolves out of any of the states. Yeah. So just remember that when you get all excited to come over here and elk hunt, that a lot of places have a lot of wolves, and you don't need binoculars in our neck of the woods. Like, seriously, you ain't going to ever use binoculars. Right. You're going to be in timber, and it's going to be steep and brushy. And, yeah, I'm trying to talk you out of coming over here, so <laughs> if you can't catch that. But, yeah, no, uh, you can buy your A-tag. Uh, I always think A for archery, but basically it's an archery-oriented tag where you, you get this, the full archery season, and it changes from zone to zone, but generally speaking, most of September. And then you get a break, and you can hunt the back end of rifle. You get into October, yeah, you, you get can a do, week. You get, a, I think, in maybe even five days or five days, a rifle hunt. And then some places you can do a muzzleloader in November and then a little bit more archery in December. That's one tag. Yes. It's a great program. Conversely, if you get the B tag, it's kind of more of a rifle-oriented tag. You get a few days of archery. You get all of rifle, which is every bit of two weeks in October. And it opens pretty early, like um, we'll just say earlier October, which is yeah unfortunate for the elk. Uh, and they're still bugling. And then um, you get – do you get muzzleloader and – uh, there is a muzzleloader season. It's like a spike only. Hunt. It's pretty. Never, yeah, no I one ever really does that. So yeah, that, that that's what he means by he has an A tag and a B tag. So yeah, residents can buy non-resident tags here in Idaho and get a second tag. Um, will that always be? Probably not. Um, but for now, that's what you yeah, can do. They let me do it, so I do. Yep. Uh, till okay, so you rock with two tags. How do you split your time up? Um, do we want to go into getting married and having kids or do you just want to stick with elk? Like how do you budget your elk hunting time, yeah. your balance time? I talk about that because it's a struggle. I was just drinking coffee with my wife two hours ago with a calendar, trying to get the courage to like tell her my plans because they're brutal. It's not fair. Yeah. I have all these <laughs> tags, all these places, and she still has a job and two kids. How, what the hell? So how do you work it? Basically, any chance I get. So, um, you know, I've had as much as, uh, as little as one day to hunt and as much as two weeks, you know, depending on my vacation schedules. Uh, uh, so basically, um, 
after work a lot. If I'm working a night shift, I'll hunt the morning and then go to work. Uh, sometimes I'll hunt the morning, kill a bull, pack all day, and then go straight to work and do it that way. It's, you know, it really wears you out, but if you, I have to do it. So. so you're fortunate that you can hunt fairly close to home. Yeah, so that's the other thing. The key is I have locations that are close to my house. That that's incredible because even I, some of my easiest spots are not easy. When I say easy, I mean just like there's just not a lot of distance to cover, but it's always straight up or it's always, I mean, like, right. so you're probably hauling ass to get home from work. Yes. <laughs> Your gear's already laid out. Yep. And it's like your food and you've been thinking about it all day and you finally get to go do it yeah. and you're gone. And I'm gone. Yes. And I've been known to take uh, straight from work. So I have a commuter car. I will take that car straight into the mountains, park it, and I, and I will load it with elk and bring it home like that. So my wife's like, uh, Where's the elk? I said, well, it's in the car. Yeah. She's like, no, it isn't. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yes, it is. That's your commuter car right there I'm uh, looking that's, at? That's hers. Mine's parked over here. Okay, so that's awesome. And good decoy because, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, us locals, and I'm not a local. I'm a Washington guy, but, like, you hunt around places long enough. Like, if you look at my truck, there ain't no elk-shaped sticker on my, my truck on purpose. Yeah, right. And I think I switch trucks, like, every two years just about. <laughs> but I've never put, uh, when I own the gym, I never put a gym sticker on my truck. Um, because I don't want people knowing where I'm going. Like it's competitive, uh, and people are always looking for hunters, especially are always looking for any little bit of evidence or that just one nugget because hunting spots are so hard to come by. And I bet that most of the people I work with that are at an elk shaped camp, whatever, just don't know how to find elk bottom line. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So how are you? finding elk on your own you're not going into the old haunts that your stepdad showed you how have you found elk on your own um one of the easiest ways to do it is uh just do it at night uh, drive around or uh, even hike a little ways you know in the dark obviously do some calling and uh they're more susceptible to it then and wherever you hear them well you know where to go That's do you I think do the elk sleep at all at night <laughs> they do it that most of the action i think goes on then you know uh a lot of times I'll pull up and start calling. I can hear them everywhere down there. And then, you know, sometimes during the day, then you don't hear them. I won't hear them. So uh, it's important for me to get out there when it's dark and kind of figure out where they've been or where they want to be. So when you're hunting, do you like to know where you're going the next day? Or do you kind of leave it up to wherever you think the elk are the night before? Like how, like say it's, um, how would I say, say you had to work. Okay. So you went to work, you weren't able to hunt the night before. How do you know where to go first? It's just through repetition of going to the spots. Um, I know where they want to bed during the day. And so, like, here's a scenario I'll do a lot. Lately, this has happened a lot. I'll get off work. I'll head straight out there. I'll hike into it. And I, I have an idea where they're bedded. So I'll stay away because uh, uh, the weather's a little unstable then. The wind currents aren't quite right. And I know that if I walk right over there, no matter what I do with You'll calls. You'll bump them. Yeah. Okay. So I'll hang back. I'll stage until... The sun leaves that hillside and it's not going, it's not down, but it's, you know, it's last half hour of light and, uh, I'll get up and then move in cause the wind's predictable. Uh, then I know they're not going to smell me. I'll get in there and do some calling and usually I can get one in. And so I bow, I only got to bow hunt last year, one day. And I did that same, that scenario. And I called two bulls in at about five minutes apart. Okay. So, um, so you're really like focused on, okay, the areas that are proven and then you're intelligently approaching it, kind of backed off, no risk, waiting for the wind yeah. to be 
perfect or I would say without question marks. Yeah. Obviously, you'll never know for sure what yeah, the wind's it, doing, but you can do like your you, you can go odds are the wind is finally switched here. It's stable. I'm going to make my first yes. call. Yeah. All right. And I'll usually start out with some calls and see if I can get them to go a little bit. But some if soft I don't, muse? Yeah, just okay. to see. And then uh, if nothing happens, I don't have a lot of time because I've waited so long. So if they don't call, I know they're there somewhere right there, and I'll get to get the wind right work up in there. And um, I have actually had them start bugling when they hear me walking because they've already heard me calling. And now, now I'm close to them, and they kind of hear me walking around down there, and I've heard them. So you don't sneak around? Uh, if I'm calling, I don't. So you're not whitetail hunting then? So I'm not whitetail hunting, but I have spot and stocked elk before, and it's worked really well. Let's talk about both because so we've. I think if we were to take people listening right now elk hunting with us that have never been or haven't had success, I think just based on what I've learned, they'd be shocked at how much you and I don't care about how much noise we make when we're calling elk. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not like elk are loud, and big, and strong, and they make noise, and um, great. So so do I. And then yeah, that's beautiful. Absolutely. Now. Conversely, most of the herd bulls I've killed, I've never made a sound except for the cow call I use to stop them, to shoot them. Yeah. And that requires some yoga, some sweet little sneaking around, yeah. going over downfalls and ducking alders to get in on them tight without them knowing. So talk about both and kind of educate our listeners on what your style is. Uh, well, when I'm calling the bulls, typically I get them into, you know, it's tight, the brush, you know how the brush can be in North Idaho here. Um, so when I'm calling bulls, a lot of times I'll get like the 20, 20 yard shot opportunity on them. Um, when I stock a bull, it's a little further than that. Cause I just like, they might be feeding in a clear cut or there's other elk around and I have to stop. <laughs> so, uh, that shot might be a 40 yard shot. Um, maybe even slightly further than that. Um, but you know, everybody, everybody wants to call the screaming bull in and get it close. And that's what we're all after. But if they're, they're not going to play that way every day. So um, I have to change it up. And so I'll sit back and not do a lot of calling and stage like I talked about and just try to feel them out and see where, where they're at. And if they don't want to call, I'll just wait for them to come out and feed and then I'll stock them. And so when do you know to kind of put your calls away? Like when they're just not answering you right on top of you or when literally like it's crickets but you can see them? Like how do you know when it's time to just – Put the calls away, and it's the sneak game. I, they're just not responding well. Uh, they might look over my way because sometimes I can see them. Okay. You know, if they're out, if they're feeding. Uh, so if they're just not responding, I'll say, okay, you know, you, you don't want to play, obviously, so uh, it's time to change it. And so I'll just stock. That's and great. I'll just wait till the wind's right, um, or I'll wait till they're in a position to where I feel like I can work in there. And uh, it's worked really well for me. So in your scenario, you described like the last spot that you had one day to hunt last year and you called two bulls in within five minutes and you got up there pretty fast, but you couldn't do anything until the wind stabilized. Yeah. Which I imagine means you have 30 minutes. Uh, you do not have long. Like, I, I always say 20 minutes to a half an hour is what I, so I do all that prepping and thinking about what they're doing, uh, get up there and stage and I do it all for under 30 minute hunt. Okay. In that 20, 30 minute time zone. My question for you is, are the elk standing up and still kind of milling around, staging, generally speaking, or is it, when is it time for them to like, okay, we're going to water first, or we're going to go start working our way to feeding, or, or do they start feeding right then and there? Like, where are they going? Well, 
so I'm doing this adjacent to, you know, a, a clear cut that's a couple of years old, so it has good feed. Um, they're bedded in the timber just within 200 yards of that. Okay. So when I get up there and I, you know, I get these bulls to come in and it's so brushy, I just couldn't get a shot. And eventually they're going to get close enough to spook. I mean, you call them close enough and, you know, it's just not going to last forever. So if I don't get a shot opportunity, you know, they're not going to walk in circles around me. Eventually they're going to leave. So they did. And when I walked up to where they were, they're within, I'm going to say, 50 yards of their beds. I could see where they had been laying, both of them. And they were only maybe 100 yards apart doing that, laying there. Um, so I had basically got them up out of their bed uh, when I started walking over there. I know they heard me, and mm-hmm. then they, they started to bugle. Okay. Um, but the elk around them, some of the cows around them were already up and milling around because I, had, I did bump a cow on my way there. All right. So, so that particular herd... and. This is interesting for me because I've always felt like elk do different things in different areas. What I mean, different states, different terrain, different mountains, different systems. Um, Some of the places up in the panhandle, which is units one through nine, I would even say one through ten. Like there's a lot of units in here, but they're all covered in brush. So brush bowls. A lot of them will feed their way um, up through the night. And then in the mornings, you'll hear them up high and then They'll, when it's time for them, they'll flip around and work their way back down to the creek bottom. Or, and then they're in the hole for the day. So when you do get, say you do like a midday madness and you haven't located, if you bugle off tops of ridges, you're going to get maybe an answer and it'll be in the bottom of a hole. Well, they weren't there all the time. They were there. They were where you were just in the middle of the night. That's probably what happens in the panhandle more times than not. But I've heard of other places and been in places where it's the complete opposite, where they're bedding up high. They worked their way down. And then in the morning, they just jam right back up. So what are you experiencing over here? You know, this area, the areas that I've been hunting uh, locally, it doesn't, they're, they're not high. So, um, you know, they're only climbing 500 feet. They're not, they're not moving a thousand feet or anything like that um, during the course of the day. It's just, it's just gradual rolling hills. So it's not like, uh, you know, it's not steep terrain by any means. And how far do you think they're traveling from, you know, cover? or bedding to food. It's not far. So really you don't have like that whole intercept game working for you. No, I don't. No. Um, huh. It's all, you know, they don't, I feel like the, some of the herds I hunt locally right here aren't traveling that far. No. Um, and it's because they're sort of, they're, I would say, you know, locked by, you know, the features around yeah. some private property where people are over here. So I know they're not traveling through some of those areas. You okay. Know? Um, well, let's get into some of your like heyday elk hunts, some of your glory day. Like this guy has pulled out, he won't brag, but a couple of three, maybe three, 350 bulls yeah. out of some over the counter areas where personally I'm stoked if I shoot a bull that's over 300. I mean, seriously, I've only killed oh, a handful you know, maybe a half a dozen bulls over 300 in this area. A lot of other different types of bulls in here. But to kill what you've – those are some really, really special, hard-to-come-by bulls. Um, maybe you can kind of break down a couple of those stories of not only did you – how did you find the bull? How did you kill the bull? And what was the experience like? Okay. So I'll start with uh, my biggest archery kill. It's uh, a bull that's uh, about 346. Um, I had no idea that bulls around. Um, I typically have trail camera photos of them, you know, I'll find sheds. So I know of a bull and 
that's the hardest part, just finding a big bull. And then once you do, you just have to grind it until you kill him. Um, but this particular bull, uh, I didn't know about. And on a whim, I just decided to try a hunt that I hadn't for a while. And the elk were there. And it was September 6th. They were bugling like crazy. And So it was like opening day? It was opening day. Of that unit. And you were like, oh, I'll stop here real quick. Yep. Just, like just yeah. on a whim? Just kind of Yeah, I just thought, I thought I better try it. Instead of driving, you know, the hour drive to my other spot that I want to try, <laughs> just to see. Yeah. You know? And sure enough, there are like five bulls bugling out there. And so, wow. Yeah. So, you know, now I'm, and I know that this bull is the herd bull. He's, he's the closest one to me. So I take off after him. And uh, it was just, they were bugling good, but it was just a little too aggressive. He, I actually pushed that bull away from the whole herd. And uh, he what climbed. Kind of call, you were doing challenge bugles? I was getting. Yeah, too aggressive, I think, looking okay. back. Okay. Um, but so he moved away from me, and I kind of cornered him. He didn't really want to leave the area because of all his elk. I could tell he didn't, you know, he wasn't just leaving out of there. He stayed at the top of this knob, and I could see him kind of working around and bugling like crazy. Well, eventually, the other elk had seen me and started uh, barking. And uh, for whatever reason, when, you know, when that happened, I looked over there, and those other smaller bulls were with his cows. Oh, he could not handle that. And they were bugling like crazy still. And so he, I basically cut him off. He's coming back down the hill to his elk. And I walked around an old road and waited for him. And he walked out 30 yards from me and I got a shot opportunity on him. So yeah, I'm looking at him right now. He's your biggest one in your rafters and your other big bulls are at the firehouse, but that bull's cool. He doesn't have thirds on his uh, right side, just doesn't grow a third. But he does have like a kicker coming out of his fourth. So he looks like a seven point and he's got length on all his tines, including his fifth. Got great beams and he's got a cool frame. It was not the biggest frame, but he does jet out to where, man, he's probably 38, 40 inches of width, I would say, somewhere in there. And obviously he's an Idaho bull, so mass for days. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a great mass score and he just doesn't have a weak point. That's a cool character. And that's, I love those character bulls. But you know, we were talking offline. Um, we were kind of comparing notes. There are those days that do happen where I think, especially up here, where you're only going to get a day like that where the the elk decide to sort things out. Like today's the day, guys. Let's sort this out. Let's let's figure out who's who in the zoo. I want to know who's which cows are mine and which ones are yours. And we're gonna like to hear. You said you heard five bulls. Like yeah. I don't. I don't. That's like early 2000s I could hear five bulls right. in a drainage I don't hear that anymore I hear a bull maybe a satellite and that's it that's all I got now I don't hear multiple bulls in a drainage right yeah I, don't I, I remember lost. when it was like that it was fun so now I just think they converged I think they came down you just happened to pick the right spot yes. the right day and I mean five different bulls in that tight of quarters and I don't even know if your bull had even established his dominance yet. I think he probably walked in. Everyone was like, oh, crap, who's that? Let's back off a little bit. And he had his cows just then and there. And I don't think he had them long enough to just run you off right away. He might have been worried that you were a monster as well. But then he got his courage. I call it the bugle juices were flowing. He built up his courage. And then he, you said he came off that mountain for five minutes it took him to get to you, and there wasn't a second he wasn't bugling? He bugled nonstop until he got shot. God, that's the best. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And so I do think that happens in these mountains. You just got to hope that you're there. It could happen earlier or later. I was in Nevada last year, 
and I kind of was there on a day where that happened. Like we hunted Nevada for 10 days and I would say eight of the 10 days was just trying to find elk. And the elk there, by the way, they don't travel 200 yards from bedding to feeding area. Six miles as the oh, wow. crow flies from bedding to feeding. And because of it's water, it's a water game, but they would travel six miles for water. That's, it was insane. It took us a while to figure that out. Um, and figure out like, it was like a needle in a haystack. Okay, well, where are these these elk are watering right here? We saw with their own eyes. They're not going to bed here. It's too hot. Where are they going? Took us a few days, but then we finally figured out six miles. Oh wow, it's incredible. Uh, so all that is to say is that we on the day nine we kind of had a convergence day where like it seemed like thirty three cows, thirty three cows, and thirty three cows all came together in one meadow. And we filmed it and all these bulls just started pouring in and bugling and bugling. And it was like they didn't – the cows didn't know who to go with. And there was no fighting, but there was a lot of uh, displaying where bulls parallel each other. And um, a couple hours later, this bull had these cows, this bull had that cows, and they were all split up going their own ways. Oh, wow. Pretty cool to see yeah, that because in Nevada, there's just not a lot of timber. You can see it, but uh, I loved it. Well – Let's get into some of your other stories. Uh, guys are always wanting to know about your tactics, your setup, your gear, your scouting, all that kind of stuff. So let's kind of get into some like really good takeaways for our listeners that they can lean on your experience as an elk hunter since age 12 going on 40 now. You got a lot of reps. How do you figure out areas to hunt? So you're local, but I know you don't just wait for hunting season to start your game. What do you do? I'll go out early uh, and do some glassing and, uh, you know, just to see what I can see. And then a lot of times while I'm hiking around, I'm looking for water, uh, maybe a spot where they have a wallow or old wallows, you know, where I can sit. Um, sometimes when I'm staging before, you know, the end of the day hunt, I'll, I'll stage at a wallow um, just because I don't want to waste my time, you know, just anywhere. So I will do that. Uh, but... I just get out there and hike and uh, look for areas that I think will hold elk. And then I'll set cameras up uh, just to see what's there. How many uh, cameras will you like set up in an off season? I typically only run like five maybe. Okay. Uh, so they're, they're pretty important. When you put one out, it's for a reason. Yeah. You know, I'm looking for a mature bull, uh, you know, for sure. And just to see what's around, but I want to, I'm looking for a bull that I want to kill. Okay. So, um, but I, you know, and I don't, uh, I'm not specific on the kind of trail camera, just as long as it works, you know, I don't. <laughs> Please work. And, yeah. um, when do you put those out typically? And when do you get them? I, you know, I typically start a lot of times I'll just start in like July and then uh, all the way right up until hunting season. And after that, I don't, you know, once it starts, I typically don't do it anymore. Yeah. And then, but, I, I mean, you're just trying to get a picture of a big bull. If you do in July or August, does it even really matter? Like in some of the areas that I'm hunting here, um, yeah, you know, I have found those bulls and I have found their sheds and they're still in that same area when I'm hunting them. You know, it's not like I'm driving, you know, in some of the country where they're just moving that far. These elk are living fairly close to where I'm killing them. I mean, they're shedding there. I'm getting some pictures of them there a little bit early and uh, they're just not traveling that far. That's really exciting when you yeah. find a bull like that. I've seen bulls like that as well where I get them on camera. That's where they rut. That's where they drop their sheds, which always amazes me, by the way. Like, 
man, didn't winter, like, didn't you, like, get scared living up here? This is high. How did you make it? How did you make it up here? Or how did you get back up in here so quick to drop? So yeah. these elk are super, super impressive. Yeah, I would say, they, you know, the ones that I've been hunting lately don't have to worry about a hard winter. You know, they're just, uh, like, that bull over there. Uh, the picture on the wall over mm-hmm. there. Uh, I have a set of sheds. I had a shed, set of sheds to that bull, and I killed him within a quarter mile of that spot. Really? Yeah. Is that the 60-inch beam so, yeah, bull? Yeah, 60-inch beams on that one. Yeah, that's incredible. I do want to see that in person. Yeah. He, I just haven't seen beams on any bull like that in person. That's incredible. Uh, well, so you're scouting. You said you glass. It's not like you glass from opposite sides. You're not I do, like. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go glass this clear cut. Like you're literally getting on one mountain so you can see across to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I don't go anywhere near them. You okay. Know, so you're glass from a farthest yeah. point. Do you use a spotting scope or what's your glass? I up? use both, but, uh, lately just a pair of binoculars, you know, that a good quality pair. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's about it. What have you learned as far as tactics go, calling goes, could you like sum up your style of calling elk? What's worked for you in Idaho here? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I like, I tend to be more of an aggressive caller. I like, I just like that encounter. Everybody does, I think, but I hope so. Um, so, uh, really aggressive calling. Um, but you know, like I said, early on, it's, it's just not, there's a time for everything in the early season. Sometimes just not, they're not going to play that way. So, um, so it'll be light calling early, working into it later, uh, you know, getting more aggressive, but, uh, um, early season will be, you know, some cow calling and kind of sneaking and more cow calling, sneaking and just trying to get closer. Cause it, you know, and then later, obviously just bugling and raking, uh, carrying on like a rutting bull elk. And one of the things that it's always stuck with me as a, uh, from a child is my stepfather would, uh, he'd be like, okay, you do the calling. And I have a couple rules though. Don't, stop calling when they're right there. Cause you know, as a kid I would stop, I kind of see the bull and just hang up myself. And yep. Then he's like giving me motion to call. Yeah. He's like, don't stop. And that's uh, a good rule. Yeah. So that was one of the things that really irritated him is if I would just freeze. Um, but the other thing is while I'm calling is trying to sneak, you know, if I'm raking trees and screaming at big bulls, well, I shouldn't be tiptoeing toward him. You know, just if you're going to call like a bull, you need to act like one in the brush too. So uh, don't be don't be trying to be a rutting bull and tiptoeing around. And a predator. Yeah. 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 Predators sneak. Elk aren't predators. Right. Make so, some noise. Those are great rules. Yeah. And there's a few times where he'd catch me, you know, and say, hey, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had great mentorship. And that's huge. For the guys that are listening that don't have someone to take it out, you kind of, you hinted, you're like, you just have to like go figure it out. You have yeah. to just get reps in there. And we've talked about on here, like encouraging folks to go to the same places year after year and really start learning. How many spots do you think you know? And maybe you can't give me an answer, but how many elk hunting spots do you have where you're like, I know everything about those spots oh, and then some. There's so many, you know, uh, that's one of the keys to my success is the amount of places that I can go. So it doesn't matter. I could pull up, somebody could, a hunter could ruin my hunt, the wolves can ruin my hunt, and I will go straight to another spot, you know. So you have plan A through Z. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's important for me is to always have another plan. You know, I'm always thinking ahead, well, what if this happens? What if somebody parked there? 
you know, what if I go in there and hear wolves right away? I'll just pull right out, leave to another area. Do not let it stop you from going hunting. You know, you have to keep going and just have multiple places to go. Yeah. Um, and I have several that I think, I think, you know, I have them dialed pretty good. Um, and I've had other hunters, I don't want to call it room my hunt, but just, you know, they're in the area and I end up running into them. So I pull right out, head to another spot and kill a bull. Yep. The same day, you know, so, um, just a lot of, uh, a lot of different places to go is the key. There's some serious, see, I'm filtering myself here. There's some bullshit that goes on in the elk woods with other hunters and other hunters. Like I've experienced it. I hope to never be that guy. I've always tried to say this on the podcast. Your success, Mike, will never get in the way of my success. And I hope you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely do. And I want more people to have that kind of mindset because you are going to run into other hunters. Archery's getting popular. It's more popular than it's ever been. It's not that hard to get a bow in your hand and get proficient. And let's be honest, there's more bugles in September. Yeah. So we got to figure out a way to just not have uh, animosity towards somebody if they're yeah. in your you, spot. You're just going to have to get over it. There are going to be people and there are going to be wolves, period. So, you know, have plan B, C, D, whatever. You just have to have options. And so when you go into a spot, let's say you roll up, it's dark 30 and there's a truck at this trailhead or whatever. And you're like, you don't even go in, right? Like you're, you, like it could be a pretty big area, but you don't even go in still. No. I'll just, I'll leave to another spot. Okay. Immediately. Okay. And so then your next spot that you're rolling to, uh, I'm already planning my hunt. You already got it figured out yes. where to go, where to be, even though you might've just burned two hours. Like how long will it yeah. take you to get to that um, next spot? It just depends. Some of them are fairly close. I would say 10, 15 minute drive. Okay. Uh, some of them could be half an hour. I, you know, it just depends. But, uh, the minute I see that there's, you know, cause I don't want to ruin somebody else. They might get mad if I pull up there and say, Hey, can I, people don't like that. So, yeah. um, I'll turn right around and do what I have to do to get to my next closest spot. And while I'm on my way, I'm planning my hunt. I know right where I'm going to go. And you've already been there Yeah. and you've already had inter- interactions with elk yep. and you kind of just know general principles yep. of where they're going to be Right. and you got to go find, okay, man, that's a huge advantage. So what, let's just say I was to transplant you to a state you've never been, like Colorado. Like, have you ever hunted Colorado? Never. Okay. Uh, how would you do it? You know, no scouting, no maps. I'm going to plug you into an over-the-counter unit that's high, got timberline. How would you do it? Like, what, what would you do? What are some things that a great elk hunter like yourself still going to work regardless of where you're at? Um, well, number one, I'm going to bring my glass and I'm going to find them that way during the daylight hours. But I will do a lot of calling in the dark just to see, you know, because they're just more susceptible to the calling when it's, you know, at night. So I'll go out. I might hike out somewhere on a ridge or and do just a bunch of calling and see if I can hear them. And uh, then I kind of know of an area to start, you know. Um, How do you read? So let's say, you, you know, you go out a couple ridges, you drive your truck, you're up all night, you know, you stay up till one in the morning and you finally figure out, make it back to the truck and you found a drainage that held some elk. Okay. A guy like you, I know he's only going to sleep for an hour or two and <laughs> yeah. then he's going to be heading in. Okay. Cause you can sleep in October or whatever. <laughs> right. So you make it in there and the elk aren't in there. They've already gone. How do you read sign? Like who taught you how to read sign? It doesn't get talked about enough on this podcast, but like, what do you do? 
just looking for trails and see, you know, the uh, direction of travel, um, maybe looking for water where they might water, um, and bedding area, you know, um, just trying to get a handle on, you know, what it's an elk, you know, they're doing the same things that my elk are doing, but it might be in a, in a broader area. So yeah. I'm just going to look it over, um, and go from there. Do you think a bull makes a rub every day? Uh, it's just, I don't know. Do you think a bull will get water every day? I think so. Do you think yeah. a bull will get water more in the evening or more in the morning if you were to look at a 24-hour period? You know, uh, in my experience with, like, wallows, I have uh, not had them come in the evenings as well as the morning. Really? Yeah. Like, the, for some reason, or I'll miss them. I'll think, well, I need to be here, you know, this time you know, from three o'clock on or whatever, I might get some. That would make the most sense. But they had already been there. You know, think about it. You're a big, furry, hot, muscly bound maniac in love. You just fed all night. You know, you're going to go chill maybe a little bit. Why not slather in some mud, keep the bugs off while you go bed throughout the day? Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe that makes more sense. Okay. So you're not sure if a bull will like rub or rake a tree every day. I mean, day. it just depends. Like I said, sometimes they'll, you know, they're calling like crazy all day long. And yeah. then uh, a day or two later, I might not hear a bugle down there. So is, is, are they not there or are they just not doing anything? All right. We're back with Mike. We just took a break to add some batteries. Um, we just talked for 20 minutes without me hitting record. I'm an idiot. And he's just basically he was telling you guys all his best spots to go hunt so okay so you think those bulls once they shed velvet they'll still stay there because i've got bulls that just i still can't i can get them on camera but not during hunting season don't know where they go you got any bulls like that or are you getting them to stay in the same areas it just depends uh, a lot of the bulls in the areas that i'm hunting here um, do kind of stick around I've, I've found their sheds and killed that bull uh, fairly close you know like quarter mile away from where I found the sheds I ended up shooting. Like that biggest, so. like that big rifle bull. Yes. Dude's got, he's an Idaho bull with 60 inch main beams. Yeah. So I'd hunted that bull during archery season and I couldn't get him. I'd seen him a few times. I had a lot of cows, so he's hard to work in on. Um, but I waited, I called him the night before rifle opened. So I knew he was still there and, uh, got right in on him and shot him with a rifle on opening morning. So, um, yeah, uh, he was a close one. He stayed close to your... He stayed close. And so that bull's sheds were, you know, like I said, about a quarter mile away from where I killed him. That's great. And he'd just been in that area the whole time. I have experienced that up here in Idaho. I've also experienced where, like I said, I got a couple of bulls. I still just never cracked the code on. I'm still trying to figure out where do they go. Then you got places like in Arizona where these, you know, these elk have names. And there's all these guides and outfitters, and water holes have 70 cameras on one water hole. Oh, wow. These guys know these elk, and you hear the stories of these bulls just shed their velvet, go 30 miles north to Rhett. That's a long ways. You know yes, what I mean? That's a long so ways. you could go 30 miles here and be in another hunting zone. So, um, so you you do your glassing. You like you said, you glass across canyons. You don't like to glass anywhere near where you actually want to hunt you keep your scent out of there that uh, makes yeah. sense I, yeah from across the canyon usually you're using yeah. pretty good glass yes the yeah. best you can afford and you run a few cameras not nothing over the top like what you say like i, I have about five cameras that i'll put out five that work yeah put them in some decent spots you're just checking inventory in the summer months yeah, just checking inventory you know i might put on a trailer water or where i think that you know they're gonna come out cool do you ever leave them out year round i don't i've okay. never done that i do that by accident. I get a little overzealous. 
I put a little too many out. And ever since I had kids, like I, like I literally will like, I don't, like I have a camera I've been trying to get out for, for weeks. It's not that far. Well, it's, it's a bad hike, but I can't wait to get it. It's a stealth cam, 4K on video mode. Oh, wow. I put it out September 1st and I put it on the only funnel trail from bedding to water in an area that there's a six point bull that uh, he's just way smarter than me. And I was like, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to put a camera out here and I'm going to like figure out your pattern and I'll throw a tree stand up. I don't care whatever it takes. I've never killed an elk out of a tree stand, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes on certain, certain bulls. And so I really need that information. I want, I know he made it. Um, I I guarantee he made it. He's going to die of old age. (laughs) There's a bull just two ridges over two drainages over that died of old age this year. And he was just a giant, uh, no thirds, but he was a six by seven. Not a lot, of, not a lot of beams. Uh, some kid found him, eyes closed, just died in the rut. Yeah, ran himself out. in the ground, and I know he ran himself in the ground. I chased him all around one day. He wore me out, and really? uh, that's hard to do. Okay, so we kind of talked about your scouting program. Uh, we've talked about how you have two tags in Idaho. You do an archery tag and a rifle tag, and then it's not like you're taking five days off in a row. You're still working your job. Yeah. And very selective on your vacation days. So when do you burn vacation for elk hunting? Uh, I typically will try to take a week. You know, like this year I'll have four weeks. So I'll try to take a week in September and a week in October. And okay. then I can hunt both tags. Uh, but in the past, it hasn't worked that way. I didn't have the vacation. So I was limited to like one day of archery, one day of rifle. Literally? Yes. And that was enough for the, to scratch your yeah. itch? So two, let's see, three or two years ago. Um, I had an A and a B tag and I shot a, a six point bull on September 6th. And then I shot another six point bull on October 10th. And those were my two days. You are good. My friend. <laughs> I only hunted two times. Dude. So, okay. So, uh, one thing we talked about when I thought we were recording, but we weren't was I've said it before. Like there's just a lot of pissed off public land hunters that get really mad if they see other people and you're not one of them. Not at all. And I'm not either. Like I, I got a couple of buddies that are super secretive about every little thing and I get it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to get into elk. Even if you're, if you're at the spot I was going to, man, like bummer, but I got to go get into elk and I ain't going to get into elk crying, my crying about it on the trailhead. Yeah. You're going to have, what do you do? Uh, well, I get over it really fast when I see somebody on a spot and I had to plan B. Um, so before I even leave the house, I have a couple of places I might try. Uh, if somebody's there, I'll head to the next spot, next closest spot, um, until I get somewhere that, you know, nobody's at, you know, I'm just not going to let it bother me. Um, the bottom line. How far are your plans? Like how, like, so you hit a, you hit a trailhead. It's all dark 30. There's a couple trucks parked at that road or trail or gate. You, you immediately leave, right? Immediately. Okay. How far to your next one? It might be 10 minutes. It might be a half an hour drive, but you know, I'm, I'm headed to the next closest spot and, uh, have you been to that spot before? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So the, my hunt, they're all planned out. So I immediately on my drive to my next spot, I'm already planning how I'm going to get in there and hunt. So I know right where I'm going to go. So you literally can't be faded. You have, uh, no, no, you I just have too many yeah, options. I will keep rolling to a new spot until I, how find. long does it take you to learn all these spots? It's been, you know, I guess my whole hunting career, your you whole know, hunting career, you know, just, yeah. 
Do you think you have over a hundred different spots to hunt? I, I mean, between the two big drainages that I hunt, that's possible. I don't even know. Just, you know, and I have a huge family too, that have also taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Their so, scouting's your scouting. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's cool about family. And that's the same with mine. Uh, my dad and I have just figured it out and built our knowledge together, put our heads together and we've built our own little knowledge base. So guys that are listening that want to elk hunt, they've heard me say, dude, Go back to the same spots year after year. Even if you weren't successful, but you did get into some elk, like start expanding. How many seasons would it take you to like, say you only had a 10 day, you lived in Wisconsin and you're coming to Idaho, South, Southeastern Idaho for your elk hunt. You did it three years in a row. You have to add a day of travel on the front and back end. So you got nine days of hunting times three. You've been in this area for 27 days. How many square miles can you really figure out, you know, probably not as much as you living here, but a lot more than if you were to only do nine days in Southeast Idaho, nine days in Southwest Montana and nine days in, you know, Southeastern Colorado. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're going to be busy. Uh, It's just spreading yourself thin. Yeah. You are going to be busy. Um, So it seems like your main advantage is exposure at a young age, lots of reps, and then the fact that you have so many elk options in front yes, of you. Yes, I would say and the biggest one like is the options, you know, just you know, you have to you have to get out there and find places to go and um and you're the bottom line is you're going to run into wolves and you're going to run into people. You cannot let that bother you. You have to go to another spot instantly. I mean, just get out of there and go. So. Definitely. We always talk about wolves on here because I don't like them, but it's not like I don't I just don't, I just don't like what I've seen happen. I, I like the older days. Yes, me too. When I knew there was some wolves like coming through from time to time here or there, like, but like not like it is now. Where, man, like, literally, I wake up every day and during season, I'm like, gotta have my plan. Like, I literally have to have my my asterisk. What if there's wolves here to go to the next spot? Yeah. You know what I mean? But how's it been for you as a local? as a guy who grew up and probably hunted the nineties, yes, possibly some of the best years of elk hunting in Idaho to where we are now. Like, how's that been for you, man? Oh, it's been a, it's, well, it's been a roller coaster. It was awesome starting out. Uh, the nineties were good. Um, but there are drainages now that I hunted back then that you cannot, you can't find an elk. I mean, they're just, you know, it's like they're non-existent and it, it really saddens me to think that it's gotten to that point. Um, because it was such great hunting. Um, but every now and then I go back just to see, you know, I have to go look and I have to go call a little bit, but it's just like, it's dead, like a dead zone. There's a couple spots that are, uh, I'm going to go check out this year that I haven't been to in over 10. They just got wolfed out and I'm just hoping, I just love the country. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth, really getting this curve, busting up the elk hunting learning curve. And they got wolfed out pretty bad. I'd like to go back in there, but I don't have high expectations like you just said. So, yeah. um, do you think we can manage them? Boy, I don't know. It's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. From what I've seen, it's tough, you know. Ultimately, for you, it's just about the elk meat, the experience, the test. But you were laughing, telling me that your wife, like, literally can't understand wh- why oh, no. you do it to yourself. Because you do kill yourself. Like, oh, man. You work these 10-hour days. You jam home. You go hunt elk, and you probably get home pretty late, uh, or you kill an elk, and it takes you all night to get it out, and then you got to go back to work. Yes, like, I do that a lot. Man, like, what is it? 
what keeps you going? What it's just uh, I don't know. I guess once you get the bug or once it's ingrained, you just can't stop. You know, there's nothing like it. Nothing I do like it. Is it the biggest work sacrifice reward system out there? I think that so. You've experienced? Yes. Yeah. It just doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy. It's a lot of work, but it's really rewarding when you know things come together when your plan works. That, is it that the feeling we're addicted to? I don't know. Yeah, it has to be at it. That and, you know, just, I love to eat it too. So, well, I think first and foremost, we all love a freezer that you don't have to go to the store and buy meat. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That sucks. Honestly, it's like overpriced farm food where you could go get something. We all know that. We can agree to that. But it's the thing that makes you shoot your bow. Put the pack on, do the hikes, the rucks, the gym, the sweat, the scouting, the planning, the planning, the planning. <laughs> like it kind of can drive your whole year. Yeah. For this one thing. It does. Uh, yeah. And I constantly at work, I think about it all the time. I told him the other day, you know, a guy I work with, I'm like, oh, I, all I do is think about killing an elk. That's it. Even at work. Yeah. So it drives, thinks, it drives my whole life, you know. He thinks you're an elk sociopath. <laughs> Probably does, I'm sure. But. <laughs> well, yeah. man, I, um, I wish I had hit record. We did talk about some cool stuff in those 20 minutes, but I think we covered it. Like bottom, bottom line takeaways for me for just listening to your knowledge is that you got you to gotta be out there trying different spots and intimately learning them. And it's going to take time. It's going to take time, yes. Okay, copy uh, that. Yeah, one of the things that I didn't hit on it too is that um, you have to be confident and, you know, you have to know it's going to work. Just be confident that what you, what you planned and the places you're going to have elk and that, you know, your skills are going to work. Um, what would you put, like, what's the feather in your cap? Like this brings me the most confidence. What is that? Uh, I just, I guess consistency, you know, I, I've, I'm pretty consistent. I get, I feel I'm killing them. And so I just, the more you do that, the more confident you are with it. And so that's just, you know. Well, you have so much experience in on elk tight in this country. Um, do you have to still work hard at it year-round? That's the thing. Uh, you know, so I went to you not long ago about uh, the shape that I'm in. And you kind of went over that with me. And that's for a reason because uh, the last elk I shot, their last season, uh, just about done me in because I was in pretty rough shape. You know, I'm just not... I haven't been hitting it as hard as I should have. And then to go do something like that, it really took it out of me. Um, so. And you're not old. No, not. Not in my opinion. <laughs> I feel like you're almost prime. Like yeah, late 30s has been prime for me. Maybe not like peak physical. My early CrossFit days where we were competing. But I just feel like with the wisdom and the wisdom's going up. The knowledge yeah, and power and right. the wisdom is climbing. Got a lot of reps. But the fitness isn't dropping off super fast. It's still like holding. It's not as high as it was, but it's still holding pretty good. But the knowledge is yeah. increasing. And that's like kind of that sweet spot where wouldn't want to be an elk. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, yeah. And so, yeah, what I was getting at with the, the fitness thing is I'm, I'm relying more on my ability to get them figured out. Like it's, it's easier uh, now. You know, I'm like, well, this is, I'm going to go in there. This is what's going to happen. I'll probably do this and it works. Mm -hmm. um, before I would have been more physical getting after it and trying to make it happen. And, you know, and I just don't do that as much. I think about what I need to do. I try to make that happen. So it's less physical activity until I have to pack it out. Yeah. 
and that's that's where I, it was really rough on me. That's where the real work begins. And you're packing out solo. Uh, usually you do, yeah. Who do you have on speed dial? I do have my brother will help me when he can, uh, but he really does not like it when I call him at like say six at night and he has to work the next day. And I say, oh, guess what? We're packing all night because it's hot. No bugs are going to be out. You know, you're coming. We got to do this tonight. So um, he doesn't really like it, but he will help me. Well, mad props to him, man, because that without him, it's going to be mission impossible yeah. almost. I mean, and you're right. Packing meat out at night is the greatest thing. It's the like, best, yeah. It is the best. <laughs> you can't really see too much, but you can see enough so you don't yeah. trip, fall. No bugs, no heat. No bugs, no heat. And yeah. that's important when you're, sw- you're going to sweat. Yeah, yeah, early season, it's really important. Yeah. Ch- and that's another reason why I do a lot of evening hunts, just so I can I have all night. Yeah. So that, that makes sense to me. And so this year, you got that full week. When would a guy like you take his full week? I'm very curious. Like, are you an opener guy? I, you know, I've had, I am an opener guy. I don't know if it's just because, I don't know, if it's, uh, I'm just eager to get out there. And so I'll probably do the first week. All right. I know that the bugling, the more aggressive calling is going to be, you know, later. But I can't wait that long, and i got to get out there. It'll probably be the first week. And I've had really good luck on big bulls the first week. So, yeah, those bigger bulls that you've killed, I'm staring at. you got some really good bulls in here. Mr. Consistency, you're saying the first half of the season on these guys before yeah. they're all kind yes. of locked uh, down? The, the very biggest bull I had a chance to kill was on, like, the last week. But uh, I had that bull at 18 yards, and he's seen me trying to draw my bow. Uh-huh. And he didn't stick around at all. But it was giant. Did he have any cows? He had a bunch of cows, and he was they're actually in one of those frenzies, and f- he was fighting another bull. And uh, they got done fighting. I saw where they were headed, and there's a road up there where they're headed. So uh, I was just going to cut him off and shoot him as he crossed it. And uh, on my way over there, I ran into another bull that was running down the road from me. Um, you know, because in that kind of a frenzy, they're just all over. They're everywhere, it. yeah. So, anyway, I got over there. Uh, I didn't hear him bugling anymore. I hadn't, I wasn't sure if he even crossed it. And, uh, I heard a little brush above the road and I thought, well, it's probably one of the cows. I didn't hear any antlers hitting any brush. So I thought cow for sure. And then, uh, he started to walk around a little grand fur at 18 yards and I had to get that bow drawn and he seen me do it, but it was a giant oh. and, uh, it would have been a really easy shot. Yeah. So he turned right around. Jumped down into the road and right over back over the bank where he went, where he came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother was across the hillside with binoculars, and he's like, just looking for the red spot, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he could hear him crashing down. He yep. popped out. He's like, man, I just could, I couldn't see the red spot on him, and he didn't tip over. He's like, what happened? I said, man, I tried drawing my bow, and he's seen me. Uh, do you and your brother hunt together much? Uh, a little bit, you know. We might do a hunt or two a year, but okay. that's that's we're pretty much all solo, you know, for the most part. But we'll get together and do a hunt. Do you think solo elk hunting is the ticket? Uh, I think that teaming up really works better. And usually when we do that, I almost always do the calling. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I always say you got to get good at the hardest hunt. And yeah. that is solo hunting. Just get right in the thick stuff and make it happen. You know, that, I think that's harder than uh, teaming up and having a caller. But uh, just, we just don't do that often. What's the rest? And I kind of want to wrap this up, kind of talking about this season. So this this is going to drop in July. You got basically six to eight weeks to kind of do your final preparations, physically, gear, 
archery, scouting. What do these next six to eight weeks look like for you as it pertains to elk hunting? Uh, a lot of shooting, obviously. Uh, really dial my shooting in. Um, I'll be uh, checking the cameras, just seeing what's around. I'm going to start going out in the evenings and glassing across the canyon. I want to see what's there. Yeah, just try to get a big, a nice bull dialed in, you know, and see what if what's around, um, and then go from there. You know. And then have multiple spots. You know, I can't just like like we talked about before. I can't just have one spot because there might. Do you be... add spots to your repertoire every year by chasing? I do. Goals? I try to find. Yeah, I always trying to find new places to go, or you know, while I'm glassing my normal spot, I'll look. I might look somewhere else, you know, to see what's over there. That's cool. Maybe give that a try the next day or two. That's a great tip. Yeah. And adding, same here. Like, I just want to, like, make sure I get something adjacent to me that I haven't been to yet that I get boots on the ground in there at some point. And hopefully there's a bull bugle in there so I have a good reason and they can show me the ropes. No one's going to teach you the elk country better than the elk. You know what I mean? So get that Onyx app out, turn your tracker on, and chase that bugle. Get on the same trail. Pretty soon you'll have a roadmap of yeah. to where they like to move yeah, and travel. Exactly. And um, I'm excited to get back to Idaho this year, just talking to you. Uh, there's a chance I might not hunt here this year. That's a lie. I do have an elk tag here. I did already buy mine. But uh, I'm going to Wyoming. So I really want to put a good effort in Wyoming. And then if I get a chance to come back here, I'm pretty efficient at hunting elk like you are here. I'm just pretty efficient, done it long enough, have all my spots, can get in and get out. Hunting pressure is not a deal. Wolf's not a deal. I'm going to, I'm going to find a way, Mm -hmm. but going to a new area, man, you just never know. You just never know. Have you hunted out of state much? No, I have not. Do you have a desire to do that once your kid gets older? Yeah, I would like to do it. Um, I've, I've looked into it a little bit. I just haven't made the move, you know, I know it's going to take some work to figure out where to go. and It's tough to leave elk yeah. to go find elk. Right. But there is a whole other world of elk hunting out there that you probably haven't seen where it's not as steep. It's not, you're not fighting brush. Right. You're not losing things to the brush. Things aren't getting taken off of your body as you're walking <laughs> through brush. Gosh, I've lost some cool stuff here. But, <laughs> uh, and then you can use glass a lot more. I know we've talked about glassing, but I mean like, like actually glassing. Like you hear a bugle, throw glass up, see what it's bugling. Like, I don't think we've done a good job on this podcast painting the fact that a bull could bugle 20 yards from you and you still can't get a shot. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I bet there's a lot more bulls you haven't shot that you wish you could have. Oh, Because absolutely. you just – this huckleberry brush was in the way yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I, uh, I had the two bull last year I hunted one day archery. I had two – it was an evening hunt. Um, you know, I just waited for the wind current to get right and – when I got up to where they were bedded, I had two bulls in in five minutes, but they were, it was so brushy. I just couldn't get a shot. You know, there was a, a questionable, um, I probably could have made one happen, but I just didn't want to risk it. You know, yeah. I didn't do that to them and then be out there, you know, for the next 20 hours looking for this thing or whatever. So uh, I let it go. Um, so it's probably the best thing to do, but. Well, you're relatively. I mean, I, th- I know I met you on Instagram. You messaged me. So you obviously have an Instagram account. Is it a private account? Or yeah. is it, it is private. private. So should I not give it a plug out here? Or do no, you, you mind can. if guys... Okay, That's what fine. is your Instagram? Idaho Mike 80 Okay, look him up. I'll provide a link. Um, literally the perfect guest for what we're about. So if you didn't enjoy listening to Mike, you found the wrong podcast. <laughs> I found a guy who's not Insta-famous. He's killed a lot of elk and... A lot of big elk, all public land, do it yourself. 
he has a legitimate blue collar job. He's an electrician. He's got a wife. He's got a family. And all he thinks about is elk hunting. And I just can't relate anymore to a guy like you. Like, so we're pretty much, I used to tell people I like, man, I wish we lived closer. We'll be friends. Dude, we live close. So we're friends. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking, maybe we'll hunt together one yeah. day or share a camp at least. And uh, you, I do want you to know you got my number. You need someone to drop and come pack a bull out. Call me. All right. I will help you do that. Will do. All right. <laughs> thanks for coming on yeah. and thanks, thanks for letting me uh, interrupt your day off. All right. Thanks for having me. Good luck this fall. Thank you. you Take too. care. Welcome to the two minute drill sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey and here is our topic of the day. All right, Corey, last week you kind of talked about your field breakdown and getting ready to process meat. So let's talk about getting the meat to the truck. And then afterwards, what do you guys do from there? Yeah, so you've got the you know the elks down. You've got it taken care of as far as put into game bags. Got the meat cooled, and when it comes to packing it out, you know there's there's a debate of do I use a garbage sack or not. I personally don't use a garbage sack just because I feel it traps the heat so much. Uh, I might carry a garbage sack and put it between my pack and the elk meat just to keep blood from getting all over the pack, especially for hunting like in grizzly country. Uh, but from there, you know, we just attach it firmly to the pack and start hiking out. And the thing that you have to keep in mind, if, if you've never packed an elk, an elk quarter's heavy. And an elk has four quarters and all the extra meat. So, you know, plan on a couple trips and plan to be physically exhausted, which is why I think, you know, spending time throughout the year being in shape, staying in shape, getting in better shape is so important because that's really the time in the hunt, I think, that you notice where you've neglected your body the most. And, uh, you know, packing it, everybody says the work begins after the elk hits the ground and, and packing is certainly the bulk of the work of elk hunting. So, you know, taking your time, making sure you have trekking poles, making sure you have good boots because the last thing you want to do is get injured while you're packing that elk out. Then once we get back to the truck, you know, depending on where we are, if we can drive to town in an hour and get the meat in a cooler so it can, you know, really start cooling and hang and age, we'll do that. If we're close to camp and the weather's cool enough, we'll take it back to camp and, and hang it there. And worst case, if we're hunting somewhere like Arizona or New Mexico, we'll probably have a cooler with ice or dry ice that we'll put the meat into uh, still on the bone on the quarter to either transport it to a locker or somewhere where we can hang it to, to let it cool and age. Hey, elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. 
Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Guys, as always, thanks for listening. Catch us next week. We're bringing on Power Couple, Lucas and Alicia Zimlicka out of Montana. They're going to talk about their dynamics and their relationship as well as all the things elk hunting. Can't wait to have them on. We'll catch you next week. Have a good one.